Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel. How you feeling today, church? I am very excited to be here with you today. My name is Danny Anderson. If you're a guest with us here today, hey, here's the deal. We are appreciative that you have accepted someone's invitation. We've been praying for you. We've been planning for you and preparing for you to be here. And we really want to welcome you into our home. And we hope that your experience up to this point has been a really good one. And so uh, thanks for coming today. For those, of us, for those of you who are guests here today, just, let you, just want to let you know, we are in a series called all in. And what we do is we kind of teach through a series uh, about three or four weeks at a time, kind of stick to one main idea. That's kind of how we do things around here. And so today is week number two of a series called All In. And, and what if you were here last week, you heard me say that there is a life available to you and I that we could refer to as the spiritual zone. Okay, Jesus referred to it as the abundant life. The Apostle Paul referred to it as life in the spirit or walking with the spirit. It's just this, this spiritual life uh, that we could refer to as being in the zone. We all know what we mean when we say that person was in the zone, when they're performing at peak levels, you know, when they're hitting on all cylinders, when they're killing it, maybe in their sport or in their field, whatever they're doing, right? When, when someone's doing that, we say, man, that person is in the zone. And we know what we mean when we say that. They're really just killing it. And you can do that spiritually. It's possible. And what, what that looks like on an everyday basis is that you're walking with God and you're sensing his presence and, and you're partnering with him every day and you, you know your purpose in life and you're, you're acting on that purpose and you're feeling the fulfillment that comes from making a difference with your life and an impact with your life. And you feel this deep sense of peace and joy and love that comes with walking with God every single day. And, and you can kind of go through life and, and take the good with the bad because you believe in your heart that all things do in fact work together for the good of those who love God. And so you're not freaking out all the time. And, and, and you have this deep, this deep peace in your soul that comes from knowing that God is good and God is great and that God loves you. And that's, that's what we, we sort of mean by living in the spiritual zone. And that's available to every single one of us. And it's also possible. But here's what I've noticed, as I said last week. There's not many people that are living in that zone. There's not many people that are actually experiencing the abundant life the way Jesus described it and the way the Apostle Paul described it. Why is that? And what we said last week is, isn't it true that we're not experiencing that type of, of relationship with God or that type of quality of life because we're not going all in? We're just kind of toying with this idea of, of walking with Jesus. We're not going in 100% because we're not going in 100%, we're not experiencing the effects or, or, or what God has in mind. We're not giving ourselves over to a relationship with God in a way that would, it would take over our lives and produce that quality of abundant life that Jesus described. And so that's kind of what we talked about last week, and you can watch the, the entire talk on the podcast if you missed that. We said we got to go all in. We, we get out what we put in, right? We reap what we sow. So today what I want to do is kind of talk about this conversation or continue this conversation with this idea. I want to begin with this idea in your notes there. You'll probably agree. Aging does not guarantee maturity. Do you agree with this? Anybody? Aging does guarantee that you get uglier, okay? But it doesn't guarantee... Maturity, am I right? That's <laughs> the way it goes. Just because time passes doesn't mean people grow up. Many of you know someone who's in their 30s or 40s or, hey, let's even be honest, 50s or 60s, and they're still acting like a middle school child. 
or a high school student. They don't get their way. They pout and they complain and moan and groan, right? They're irresponsible with money. Their, their, their life is riddled with the consequences of poor decisions, and you end up scratching your head saying, shouldn't you be over that by now? Why did you make that decision? Right? They're in their third. You don't have to elbow anybody right now if you brought them with you today. <laughs> you know, they're still, they're still entirely focused on themselves. Their whole life is defined by selfishness. They haven't quite understood yet that there's 7 billion others in the world. Right? They're maybe even still living in your basement. Hello. <laughs> Just because they got older doesn't mean they grew up, right? Financial problems, they, they have a hard time holding down a job. They bounce from job to job, right? They lack consistency in their life. They're always offended or mad at somebody for something. <laughs> you know, am I talking about somebody in your home? Just because time passes doesn't mean we grow up, right? There's nothing more, there's nothing more wearisome than a, a grown-up child. Do you agree with this? Woo! It's, right? There's actually a new book out by Elizabeth Fischel and, and Jeffrey Arnett. It's called, When Will My Grown-Up Child Grow Up? <laughs> it's, it's a real book. And in the book, I, they, they, they really just define a new category of, uh, of people, a new, a new stage of life, and it's called emerging adulthood. It's like between the age 25 and 35. Like, you're supposed to be an adult by now, but you're not, and so you're still kind of emerging through it. This is what they say about emerging adulthood. For most parents, their biggest fear is that they watch their children, as they watch their children go through emerging adulthood, 25 to 35, is that it will never end <laughs> or that it will go on for far too long. When will we have to stop paying for this child, their bills, and rescuing them and saving them from all kinds of bad choices? Age or aging does not guarantee maturity. You know, the same principle is true in the spiritual realm or in the spiritual life. A lot of us believe that just because we go to church, just because maybe we attend a small group, or just because we maybe, you know, are, are, are doing some religious activities or we're involved in a church, or we said a prayer many years ago that we're automatically going to grow spiritually, and it's just not the case. In fact, there was a group of Christians that the author of Hebrews was writing to that they thought this. They thought that just because time passed, they would grow spiritually and they would somehow attain the life that Jesus Christ gave them uh, or came to give them. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. He says, you guys have been believers for so long now, okay? Lots of time has passed, that you ought to be teaching other people. You ought to be a small group leader. You ought to be teaching theology. You ought to be, you know, you know discipling other people. Hey, some of you should be pastors by now. <laughs> Lots of time has gone by, and you ought to be investing your life in other people. However, or instead, you need someone to take you back to kindergarten. That's what he says. That's my translation. And teach you the ABCs and the one, two, threes of Christianity. He's, he's frustrated. The author of Hebrews is coming down on these believers. Saying, Man, there's been a chunk of time that's gone by since last time I've seen you. And you guys are still working with the ABCs and the 1, 2, 3s when you ought to be mature. But just because time has passed doesn't mean people grow up. See what he's saying here? Listen to what he says. He gets, he gets harder on him. Watch what he says. He goes, you guys are like babies. <laughs> if you've ever said, if you've ever wondered where the phrase came, stop being a baby, it came from the Bible. See that? You've been quoting scripture. Some of you have been quoting scripture your whole life. You didn't even know it. He says, you guys are like babies who need milk and you cannot handle solid food. He basically says to them, here's the, here's the way you, this is what you guys are stuck on right here. <laughs> 
You guys need, to, you guys need me to kind of plop the baba in your mouth and, and rock you away. And It's not good, he's saying. See, when a, when a baby gets stuck on milk, there's problems. In fact, as parents, and I've been through this three times with my wife, we, you know, we know that, that this only lasts so long and we have to move away from this and, and we've got to get them into some more solid food. And if we can't get them into some solid food, there's going to be big, big problems and we've got to take them to the doctor and, because you don't stay on this deal. That's what, that's what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. Some of you are stuck here and it's not a good thing. It's possible to trust Christ and not make progress. And the author of Hebrews is just coming down on them and says, this is, this is no good. I remember when our first child uh, was, was very little, uh, he had a binky. Remember bink, little pacifiers? And he had gotten a little older, and I thought, okay, it's about time that we lose the binky. But, you know, they need it to go to sleep, right? So, so we started looking into it. And what you had to do, and this was kind of a cool thing, you had to snip the tip of the binky off, right? So we just... And then he didn't like it anymore, and we broke him from it. But we knew he could. We knew if he went to kindergarten with the binky in his mouth, there was going to there were going to be some problems for him socially. <laughs> so we had to break it, right? The author of Hebrews simply says this, and I love it. He says, he says, you guys should be able to handle something with a fork and a knife. See that? He says, you guys should, by now, you should be old enough. You should have some, some nice, strong teeth where you can bite into something, perhaps like a, I don't know, maybe like a 10-ounce steak or a 12-ounce steak. Isn't that nice? That's a real steak right there. <laughs> My team is amazing. He says to them, he says, you guys should be able to, to get into this thing. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Medium, well, I love it. He says, you should be able to get in and use this knife and this fork and nothing like steak, 9 a.m. in the morning. Mmm. Mmm. I don't know who cooked that, but that's good stuff. Now, that's some abundant life right there. Anybody agree? I know some of you are vegans and stuff like that, but... He said, by, by now, you should be able to take a, a knife and a fork, and you should be able to get into a 12-ounce a steak, medium well. I know some of you like it rare. <laughs> some of you like it bleeding. Wash it down with some milk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Basically, what he's saying is these guys, this group of Christians, they, they got stuck. They got stuck in the infant phase, and it's not good. See, just because time passes, just because we age, doesn't mean that we grow up physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And so in your notes here, here's the big idea I want to throw at you, and then I hope if you get nothing else today, this is what I need you to get. All growth takes action. Don't kid yourselves. Do not kid yourself. If if you want to experience the abundant life, if you want to live this in-the-zone life, you're going to have to take action. It'd be wonderful if it wasn't this way. It'd be wonderful if you can sit on the couch and get in shape. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be wonderful if you can get on Amazon and order up a six-pack and just stick it right on there. Now, you can order some other six-packs on Amazon, but I don't think you can order this one. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You actually have to go on a diet and get in the gym and do your crunches and run your miles, and then maybe, maybe you can get, get your sick. But it's going to take some action to get there. It'd be wonderful if I could, you know, have a book without writing any words. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> That'd be wonderful. It'd be awesome if, if I could make money without adding value. Wouldn't that be great? Kind of sit at home and the money just comes in, just flows in, check the mailbox, another check, you know? 
It'd be wonderful to get a whole classroom of kids to, to raise their test scores just because they showed up, right? No, it's going to take every day working with those students on their, on their reading and their writing and their math, every day. And then maybe their test scores go up. All growth takes action. See, in the Christian realm, I don't know why this is. Maybe I do know, but uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. I believe that Christians are averse to action. And maybe it's because we've been taught theologically that salvation is free. And you, don't, and you don't have to do anything for it. Going to heaven is a free gift. Grace is totally and completely free. You trust Christ, it doesn't cost you a thing, and you just receive it, right? And that's all true, and we believe that. Salvation is a free gift. We don't work to earn God's favor or to go to heaven when we die. And so then when we hear a preacher start talking about working and effort and putting in the time and training, we're like, whoa, that sounds weird. That's not what I've heard. That's not how I've been taught. See, he, here's the balance, though. Here's the balance. Dallas Willard helped clear this up for me. He said that grace is not opposed to effort. We think it is. No, no, no. It's opposed to earning. We're not going to put in tons of effort to gain God's favor. And God, did you see how much I read my Bible today? And did, you, did you see I went to church on Sunday? Did you notice <laughs> I went on Easter too? And, you know, did you, did you see? Did you, are you watching? I went to small group. No, we're not earning God's favor by putting in effort. We're putting in effort so that we can experience the abundant life. Does that make sense? So what kind of effort are we talking about here? We're talking about connecting, to connecting to Christ. In your notes there, we attain the abundant life as we connect to Christ. That's the action that you and I need to take. We need to connect to Christ. Jesus said it this way. He made it very simple in John chapter 15. He said, here's the deal, guys. I'm the vine, you guys are the branches, okay? I'm the trunk of the tree, you guys, are, you guys are the branches. Those who connect, those who remain, that's what it means, in me, those of you who stay connected to the, to the vine, and I in them, will produce much fruit. But here's the deal, if you disconnect, apart from me, you can produce how much? Nothing. Jesus said, the branch cannot produce fruit unless it stays connected to the vine. The Christian cannot grow in their faith unless they stay connected to Christ. The number one job of a branch, which is all of you, it's me included, is to produce fruit. How are we going to produce fruit? How are we going to grow in our faith? We're going to stay connected to Christ. And so as a pastor and as a, as a staff and as a church, what we try to do is we just try to create as many possi possible ways for all of you to connect to the vine so you can grow in your faith. We can really just sum up the purpose of the church that way. Helping you to stay connected to Christ so you can grow and experience the abundant life so that you can live the in-the-zone sort of Christian life. Does that make sense? So let's talk through a few, of the, a few of those ways. Number one, we connect through the weekend service. Every seven days we do this thing called the weekend service. We're a multi-site church. We have three campuses. We're one church with multiple locations. At each one of those campuses, there's a service going on right now. Do you know there's nothing in our bylaws that says you have to do a service every seven days? Nothing. No, nope, there's no rule to say that. We could do a service once a month if we want to. Would you guys like that? Some of you would. <laughs> you sleep in the other three Sundays, right? Why do we gather every seven days? Why do we do that? It's because we believe that the weekend service is an opportunity for you to connect with Christ and to grow in your faith so that you can hear something and mature in your faith. It's an opportunity for you to connect with other people. It's an opportunity for your kids to hear truth back in the children's ministry. It's an opportunity for some of you to serve and to give back and to play a part and be part of the team. It's an opportunity for you to bring your friends who are 
far from God and they've written off church as boring, judgmental, and irrelevant. The weekend service. But if I were to pin down the, the, the main reason or the number, one, the number one purpose behind the weekend service, it's to help you grow in your faith. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what it says. This is the first church, the first Christians. Here's what they did after Jesus went back to heaven. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, where did, they get, where did the apostles get their teaching? Who did they spend time with? Who was their master? Jesus, right? So they devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus. This word devoted simply means to stay with, to persist in, to be in something consistently. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather and we're going to commit ourselves and devote ourselves to learning what Jesus had to say about all things. He was the master, right? That's what the first church did. That's why we meet every seven days as a body to hear what the master has to say about life. How does our faith grow? How do we experience the abundant life? The, uh, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10. He says, faith comes from hearing. We develop our faith from hearing. And what are we hearing? And hearing comes through the word of Christ. And so every weekend we get together and we talk about something that Jesus said, something that Paul said, something that the apostles said, something that God has said. We could talk about philosophy. We don't. We could talk about poetry. We don't. We could talk about the news. Hey, we could talk about politics. There's a lot of things going on in our world today. Do we do that? We do it like once every four years. <laughs> and even when we do talk about politics, we talk about it through the lens of what Jesus and what God had to say about it. Does that make sense? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the weekend service. And what boggles my mind is that even though we have 52 staff members, and 830 volunteers committed to the weekend service across through all three campuses. So you do the numbers, that's about 882 people. Volunteers and staff members committed to doing a service every single seven days. It's about 2,510 man hours every single week devoted to this experience right now that you're sitting in. And even though all of that work is done, my, my work and your, everybody else's work was done, the average person that comes to Emmanuel only attends every other weekend. That's it, twice a month. Now, that's average across the country, okay? So you're not, you know, any different from the rest of the Christians in the country, but they only come twice a week because other things come up and people get busy and it's not necessarily a top priority. And I'm thinking to myself, well, but we put together a gourmet meal and we've got 882 people committed to making this happen and, and we've studied and we've prayed and we've planned and I've, I've practiced and, and, and people are saying, hey, you wanna go this weekend? Ah, we're busy. I'm not sure. I was up late last night. And people just come about 50% of the time. It's like when my kids at the dinner table, you know, my wife will prepare a meal and there's all kinds of healthy stuff on there. And, and uh, you know, there's, sometimes there's broccoli or something healthy. And, and my kids don't eat it. They don't eat what my wife has prepared. They simply refuse to eat. And I used to get really mad at, at them, but now I just charge them money. <laughs> it's like, well... That's $2, and that's a dollar, and you don't have to eat it, but you will pay for it. So we're going to start doing that in church. When you miss church, we're just going to charge you. Just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A little. I'm just kidding. No. But we do the weekend service. We put all these man hours and all this time. We do it so that you... There's no rule that says we have to do it. We do it so that you could hear something and grow in your faith. Now, some of you are like, well, Pastor Danny, I, I come every week. Great. Awesome. Don't get all self-righteous. Don't, don't do that. 
I like what Billy Sunday said. He said, just because you're standing in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> See, some of you do show up every single week, but you're not, you're not ready. You're not expecting God to speak. I watch you. See, I can see you. I can see all of you. And some of you sit there like this. Some of you do like this. You're here, but it doesn't matter. Because you're not, you don't come ready to hear God. You're not saying, God, what are you going to say to me today? Change my life. I want to hear something. I want to be different. I want this abundant life. I want to I get life to the full, life to the max. You're not ready for that. Now, some of you are. Some of you come in, and I see you, and you got your notes, and you're ready, and you sit, and, and you're taking notes, and, and, and you're like, oh, man, that's good, that's good, that's good. And you walk away every single weekend, because some of you tell me, you say, man, that talk changed my life. Man, I'm so thankful that you present the material the way that you do. Some people take notes like this. This is one person, I love it. Remember our series, Love is a Verb? Look at this. This is just, this is everything I said. Like all the verses, she just wrote everything down. I love that. Just dialed in, just ready to hear, ready to, she didn't, she didn't even use the outline I gave her in the notes. She made her own. <laughs> she does that every week. She posts it on Instagram. I love it. Some, some people come ready to hear. Just because you're physically present doesn't mean it's working. You have to come ready and hungry to hear the weekend service. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. That's number one. Number two is connect through a group. Connect through a group. Have you ever noticed you can go further faster? I mean, what's the power behind Alcoholics Anonymous? I mean, why don't they say, hey, it's all online, do it yourself? Get sober all by yourself. Why, why don't they do that? They, it's, it's available. They could do it online. They could even Skype it. You know what I'm saying? But no, they get together with people, and, the, and there's power, and there's, an, and there's this, 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 this dynamic that takes place when, when, when people gather together. Listen to what the first church did, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but also to this thing called fellowship. This Greek word is koinonia. It means partnership. It means to, I'm going to commit myself to you. You're going to commit yourself to me. And I know this is hard in a busy world where everybody's got kids and going here and there and blah, blah, blah. But this is, this is what the church devoted themselves to. Because they knew that there was power in getting together. Not necessarily corporately. Yes, that's true. Corporately. But also in little huddles, little groups, little circles. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, when they really weren't allowed to get together in large groups. They were, the church was under persecution. They said this. Don't neglect meeting together as some people are getting in the habit of doing. See, they would say, oh, we don't have to gather up. But rather encourage one another. Especially now as you see the day of Christ returning. He says, don't, don't stop getting together. Why? Because there's this encouragement piece. Now, that word encourage, it's, it's interesting. The Greek word means literally to spur, to implore, to beg, to, to, uh, to basically plead. It's a very powerful word. Why would, the, why would the writer of Hebrews say this? Because he knew that life was hard and temptation was real and the devil is present. That's true in your life too. Isn't life hard? Isn't temptation real? And don't you have an enemy? Yes or no? And so what you need is a group of people that are going to come alongside of you and say, hey, watch out. I did, if this happened to me this way, the, this Bible verse says this, and, and to plead and to urge and to, and to almost beg you to stay on the right path. How many people have drifted off the path? You probably know many. You've probably been off the path, right? Don't, don't forsake 
Don't neglect the meeting together. And so that's why as a church we try to say, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. Because we know that when you're in a group, there's more success. You can go further, faster when you have a group of people traveling with you. And then this last one right here. Connect with God through spiritual practices. Connect with God through spiritual practices. I love this one. I'm passionate about this one. You know, I wish, I wish you could show up at a marathon and just perform well without training. But it didn't work that way. I ran one full marathon. Only one. And I'll never run another one. <laughs> but man, I had to train. I had to do long runs, a tempo runs. I had to do speed work if I wanted to break four hours, if I wanted to get under my goal. I knew I just couldn't go out there and run 26 miles. And so I busted my butt. The toughest ones were the, long, the 21 mile long runs a couple weeks before the race. Those were hard. Very, very difficult. But I knew I had to get a couple of 20, a 20 and a 21 mile run in. And I did it. And I was so glad that I did it because on race day, I was ready. And I ran that race in three hours and 45 minutes. It's my last one. <laughs> you know, the spiritual life works the same way. If I want a result, if I, want, if, I, if I want to be more patient, if I want to be more kind, if I want to get rid of anger or lust or fear or worry, if I want deeper levels of joy and happiness, if I want to sense God's presence in my life, if I want answers to my prayers, guess what the Apostle Paul would say? Well, are you ready to train? Not to earn God's favor. No, 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 no. You already have that. You don't have to work to get God's favor. I'm talking about results in the spiritual life. Listen to what Paul said to his protege, Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That was a thing back then. Rather, here's what I want you to do. Focus in and train yourself for godliness. This word is absolutely critical. It means to physically train. Enter into a training regiment, much like a, a runner or some other type of athlete trains to perform in the games. That's, the, that's what the term actually means. You can look it up. Train yourself for godliness. What does he mean? He means things like prayer and Bible study and meditation. And yes, getting in a small group of other believers. That is a spiritual practice. He's talking about things like solitude and silence. And when you look at the life of Jesus as you read the New Testament, what do you see? You see Jesus spending time alone with his Father in prayer and meditation. Training for godliness. I'll give you one example. A lot of us would love to have peace. Peace meaning simply deep rest of soul, right? That's rooted in the greatness of God. You have to get that. It's rest of soul rooted in the greatness and goodness of God. A lot of us would love to have peace instead of fear, instead of worry, instead of anxiety. Yes, anybody else? Instead of stress. Well, how do you get that? Well, you have to train for it. Specifically in Philippians chapter 4, watch what Paul says. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything, which is the natural tendency to worry about your kids and work and finances and all the, the problems that are going on in the world. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, same, same kind of idea here, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, that's a discipline. That's a practice. That's a, that takes some training to take the thing that you're worried about, that you're consumed about, that you're anxious about, and literally take it and bring it to God and, and put it at his throne and put it on his shoulder and say, this now belongs to you. It's not mine anymore. This fear, this worry, this concern. But when you get good at that, and that is something you have to train at, watch the results. 
Then the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding. People won't understand it. They'll see peace in your life in the midst of turmoil, and they'll go, how'd you do that? (laughs) They won't get it, right? Because it's a supernatural thing. It surpasses all understanding. will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard it from what? Guard it from fear and worry and anxiety. How many of you would love to have that result? I would, and I'm getting there. How am I getting there? Because I'm getting better and better and better. I'm training myself to take the things that I'm worried about, take the things that I'm concerned about, the things I'm fearful about, whether it's with the church or my family or whatever, the thing, and, and, and say, God, here is the thing right here. I trust you. You're good and you're powerful. And then guess what happens on the back end of that? Peace floods my soul. We'd love to have those results. But are you willing to train? This is what it looks like to go all in. You're training through spiritual practices. You're in a group of believers doing fellowship. And you're coming to the weekend service with a pen and a pad. And you're going, oh, God, speak to me. Speak to me. And you're expecting something big to happen. Are there other ways to go all in? Sure there are. But we only have 30 minutes to chat. (laughs) That's what it looks like to go all in. You want to live in the zone? You have to go all in. You get out what you put in, right? You reap what you sow. Is anybody with me today? I want to tell a story. I want to tell a quick story of a guy named A.J. Some of you might recognize him. A.J. Mammoth. Fantastic guy. A.J. AJ stumbled into our church 2013. Sat in the balcony. He came because a family member was murdered. And he had a question in his mind. It, he wasn't a Christian, wasn't a person of faith, but he thought, i got to figure this out, because if there is a God, how could he let such evil exist? That particular weekend, I happened to be talking about why God allows difficult things in our life. Is that how God works or what? And I was talking about how God allows things to happen in your life to grow you spiritually and to deepen your faith and to allow you to experience pain so you can comfort others. And I had a whole list of things I was going through. And he got a lot of those questions that he had answered on that first weekend in the balcony. Next weekend was Easter, and I led people in this Christ sinner's prayer, and A.J., by his own admission, had been out drinking late the night before, so he was hungover. And he said, I didn't hear anything that you said in the message, uh, which is common, by the way. (laughs) It's okay. It happens to all preachers, except for the good ones. (laughs) And anyway... He said, I didn't hear anything you said in the message, but then you went into this thing about salvation and you said this prayer, and and this is what AJ said, my heart was gripped in the weekend service. And I felt drawn in and I said that prayer and I went and got a Bible and I knew God forgave me. It's what he said. And he was saved that day. But then by his own admission, he says, not much changed. I kept going out, partying, kept doing this. And until you started talking about the importance of getting in a small group. And then I made that decision. I went and got in a small group. And then I started to learn about how to walk through this Christian life by listening to others and how I needed to practice spiritual disciplines. And so I started to read, and I would give him a book. He ended up in my small group (laughs) by, you know, coincidence, but it wasn't, right? So I'd give him a book, and he'd go read it, and he would devour it and come back and get another one. And it was just this, he was just soaking it in. He was hungry. He was a sponge, And then he started to tithe, and he started to, you know, get involved. He started to serve. 
He said, one time I was praying, thanking God, thank you so much for the church and, and everybody that serves and what a blessing it is to me and my wife, Renee. And he starts going on and then it hit him one day. Well, I got to stop thanking God and I got to start getting involved so I can help other people. Remember that thing about others? So he started serving, giving back, and now he leads. We actually hired AJ. He's on our staff. Now, that's not going to be everybody's story. Not everybody can have a job at the church because we don't have enough money to do that. So relax. <laughs> we ended up hiring AJ, and now he leads a couple teams here at the church. He oversees the, the gospel team in the back and the, the starting point, and he deals with people that are just getting saved and trying to get plugged into the church, people who say that prayer. Perfect job for AJ. See, what AJ did was he simply went all in. He didn't stop that day when he said the prayer in the balcony and said, I'm good to go. I can go to heaven now when I die. He kept on going. And so here's my question to you. Are you you stuck? Are you stuck here? Would the writer of Hebrews been talking about you? Come on. You're like a baby. Come on, put the binky down. Put the baba down. By this time, enough time has passed by where you guys should be eating a steak. You should be able to use one of these and chew on some, some meatier stuff. That's not going to happen simply because time has pa- is passing. Aging does not guarantee maturity. Now, let me wrap up this way. There's some of you here today where you're sort of an AJ spot. You probably haven't had a family member murdered, but there's something going on in your life. And you came today maybe because someone invited you, forced you, but you have some questions. And maybe something I said today kind of struck you. And maybe you feel drawn in, as AJ did. Now, he didn't know it at the time, but that was God drawing him in, pulling him in. And if you feel that, if you sense that, here's what's happening right now. God is drawing you to himself. And he wants you to place your faith in Christ. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He gave his life for you. He gave everything he had for you so that you could experience forgiveness and eternal life and abundant life. So that you could live in the spiritual zone. So that you could have life the way it was meant to be lived. He did that for you. Will you embrace his gift by faith? Will you say to him today, I trust you, Jesus, that yes, you did die on a cross for me. You rose again so that I can be forgiven, so that I can be cleansed, so that I can be in a relationship. Will you make that choice? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you're ready to make that decision, just take these words, make them your own. And you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And you'll start a relationship with Christ. Say this to him right now. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again the third day. I ask you to wash away all my sin, all my guilt, all my shame. Cleanse me. Make me your child. I turn from a life of selfishness, sin, towards you, Jesus, for life. Help me from this day forward to go all in, to to expect you to speak to me every single weekend, to join in with a group of believers who are like-minded, and to begin practicing 
spiritual disciplines so that I could grow in my faith. I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that simple prayer, first of all, we want to give the Lord a hand for what he's doing in your life. And here's what we want to do. We want to give you a gift, a one-year New Testament, if you prayed to receive Christ today. We believe with all of our heart, as I said earlier, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. One of the ways that you get the word is by reading it each and every day. This little one-year New Testament is broken down into five-minute readings that you can take in at a pace that's appropriate for you. And so we want to give this to you for absolutely free on the way out. There's tables back to my right and to my left. Just tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer. Ask Christ to be my Savior. I trusted him. Going to have one of these. They'll put one in your hands. Also, what they're going to tell you about is something called Starting Point. Starting Point is a short-term group that is designed for people who have just placed their faith in Christ. They maybe have some doubts and some questions, or maybe you're coming back to faith after being gone for 10 years, 5 years, 15 years, or whatever, and you just want to have some questions answered. So talk to them also about Starting Point. One more time, can we give the Lord a hand today for what he's done? Last night I had someone come forward and say, uh, so uh, can I have the steak? (laughs) It's funny. So, uh, no, I'm going to finish that between services, so it's all mine. Love you guys. You guys having fun? Is this fun or what? That's great. God good. You're not going to want to miss next week because we are going to be wrapping up this series called All In, okay? It's going to be a powerful message. I encourage you to bring your friends. We're just going to talk one more time about what it looks like to be all in in this whole thing called the Christian life so that we can experience the abundant life. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you make available to us. A life where we can walk with you and talk with you and sense your presence. A life where you desire us. You seek after us. You're looking for people that will love you with all all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're searching the the world for people like that to partner up with them. We're here. We're right here. And we desire to to live in your presence, to, to experience everything that you offer us. Love, joy, and peace at the soul level. Help us to step into that, to experience it, to taste it. I love what you tell us in Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God, we want to taste that, that life that you offer. Help us to go all in, no half measures. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. God bless you, I love you. We'll see you next week, bring a friend.